This is Hannah. This is Rachel. And this is What I Like to Tell People. Happy New Year, Rachel. Happy New Year, Hannah. People keep getting, I, 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 I'm getting these texts and I'm distracted because two people today have said they received my like Christmas card and I sent them for Christmas. At least they didn't fall out of the mail like you thought would happen because of the tape thing. But anyway, Happy New Year. How was your like Christmas and New Year? It's been forever since we've recorded. I know, and I've missed you, and we'll miss this, but especially you, I guess. Um, it was good. I uh, it, we did a, a very tiny affair with uh, affair, I guess, uh, with my uh, brother, his wife, and my mom and dad, and it was all socially distanced with uh, masks on, and it was really really nice. It, so it was tiny, but it was good, and I got to relax. Finally, I've been really busy and um, a lot of Minecraft too. <laughs> so it was nice. I got to, you know, watch movies, hang out and just relax and have, oh, I baked cookies on my own this year, actually. Um, I've done cookies before, but I baked and I decorated them. So, yeah. so I was very proud of myself and that's that. What about you? It was good. Christmas was good. It was small. It was just my mom, brother, and myself. And my brother spent the night, so we all got to be together Christmas morning like we were kids again. So that was nice. And then Christmas or New Year's, I came back. I worked last week, and I really didn't take any time off. I took Christmas Eve off, and then I had Christmas and New Year's. And so I worked a lot. So I feel like I didn't really have much of a break. And then one thing, this is really random, that I did find out over break is I have, like, I have always wondered what color eyes I have because I don't really have blue eyes and I don't have green eyes. I have, like, a, a mix depending on what I'm wearing. Like, and, and I've never been able to figure out, like, when it came to my driver's license, I never knew what to put. Like, I, like, could not figured out and I found out I have gray eyes you do have gray eyes and gray eyes are so unique and, and so it's a very rare eye color and apparently because this happens it was it was all like everything made sense when I read the description so you have to have European descent and blah 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 but also you they change depending on what you're wearing so they can look blue or green and they change on your emotion and I know whenever I cry my eyes get this really really like pretty color and so I'm like the it, it everything made sense and I could finally realize what color eyes I have which you do you know what that does make sense you do have really unique eyes and you have unique hair color too so look at you being all right i'm just in the mystery no one knows what rare and when i'm in the sun my hair gets blonder it's just i'm a chameleon yes what's weird is i never know what to put down too because mine turn blue and green but they aren't gray like yours well, I didn't even know gray eyes was a thing. You didn't know that? I knew that. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me, Hannah, you have gray eyes? I don't know, but it I took also... me 31 years to figure out that I had gray eyes. 
Well, and there's also violet eyes too. My mom's patient has those, like Elizabeth Taylor's. Oh yeah, Elizabeth Taylor has that too. So yeah, gray eyes is a thing. But I never thought didn't she pass? She passed, and she was like to her own funeral. Oh, perfect. Well, anyway. So this episode, we actually recorded it a few weeks ago. We recorded it prior to Christmas and New Year's. So it was in 2020. So don't hold that against it Um, because it's finally 2021, which I really hope is a much better year. But this episode is about recovery and Chelsea Carter, who is from my hometown, and she is a recovering drug addict, and she has really done a lot of good for the community, for our local community, and then nationwide, I believe. And I think it's a really interesting and um, informational episode. Agreed, and Honestly, I, I feel like you guys will get a lot out of it. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. We are here with Chelsea Carter, and she is from my hometown, and I, I like don't really know how to completely introduce you. I know you're recovering drug addict and you've done so much, I feel like, for the addict community, at least in our hometown and West Virginia. I don't know if you want to give a little summary. Thank you. Um, yes, I, my name is Chelsea Carter and I am actually in recovery myself. I have been in recovery since uh, September 29th of 2008. My journey is like a lot of other people. You, I started out by it being fun and ended up with uh, 17 felonies and a misdemeanor. So like everybody that I know who starts using, I think um, I think we just think of it as something to do and we don't really look at it as it's going to change our lives. The girl who I actually started getting high with, she was getting high with her dad. So that's how... I got introduced to it and I as crazy as this sounds like when her dad would do the drugs with us I would be like why can my parents not be like this like why can they not do drugs with me this is awesome and little did I know that doing what he was giving to us because you like you think of adults as having your best interest at heart um was destroying my life and you were in middle school right yes I started in sixth grade I was 12 years old that's so crazy uh-huh. so but I know like, I feel like our hometown like that's not that uncommon because I remember in sixth grade being like you know like I knew where to get like I remember this girl who was in high school on my bus like saying like oh if you ever want anything like here's where you can get it so it's not like it's really scary. Yeah. It, well, it's not uncommon, especially in our hometown, because it's um it's very generational. So even, like with my current work now, um, which is a therapist helping people who are trying to get um a better life who have been addicted, it seems like I, I treat grandparents, parents, children, and they're all coming here so I don't know if that's how it is everywhere but I know for here it just seems more common that it's like oh well my dad does drugs or my grandpa sold drugs so I think this is what I want to do because they don't see any bad from it because when you Uh first start out you don't see any bad you just see this the good the good the good high the good 
and and you just never think of the consequences afterwards mm -hmm. and and then I guess I was talking to Hannah about this a while ago. I guess once like the coal mining, everything stopped and then all the work went out of place, then you started having what more drugs coming in to for profit, right? Or how well, did that? Actually, how it all started was um, they started like, um, I don't know, like telling people that Oxycontin was the least addictive drug on the market. Uh, so we had all these doctors coming in here from out of state and pushing these drugs down down people because like you could get them for carpal tunnel you could get them if you hurt your back and like oxycontin was a pain medicine created for cancer it was not created for like normal pain that tylenol could take care of so they seen that with the coal market you know you have people who are beat down and broke down from coal mining all their lives they made their money off that. So then when they started say, seeing like, oh my gosh, everybody has problems now that everybody's addicted to Oxycontin, then they started trying to mandate and make all these laws that was, that essentially, in my own opinion, I think backfired on them because they've made it so hard for people who actually need um, pain medicine to get it. So then that's, where the heroin and the meth push has came in because what you're not going to be sick so what are you going to do well i'm not going to pay 120 dollars for an opana i'm going to buy 10 bags of heroin for a hundred dollars right yeah. oh i see yeah so they it's kind of a double-edged sword then because you know you're like oh i'm trying to get rid of this but it makes it harder and that, that's, and I don't think they meant for that to happen. I think they right. honestly thought like, oh, by regulating this, it will make things better. But the people who regulated it had no idea what the disease of addiction. They didn't treat. Like. They weren't no. treating the cause. No, yeah, they, just, they just thought of it as like this will stop so much, um, so many people from being addicted, and so much of the drugs on the street. But it just made everything worse because all we've done necessarily is turn over a new leaf to new drugs. So I I can remember like because your dad was the mayor of mm -hmm. Madison. Oh. Yeah. So Sorry. I can remember him being mayor and it was like a big story of like everything that you were getting into. And like, how was that? Like, I feel like even though we were in a small town, it was very public. Like, did that impact anything or do you think that helped your recovery or made it worse? Um, well. No, uh, honestly, when um, I got in trouble and got uh, charged with the 17 felonies and one misdemeanor and it hit the Coal Valley News that said, like, burglary ring, um, I thought my life was absolutely over because they, it, it was so, it was so public. And to my, my family had always been like this, um, figure of what I felt was like excellence like everybody worked it was like you know everybody just was did something that was good and then here I am I'm out here stealing robbing cheating doing whatever I have to to get my drugs and I get caught at it so then it gets like I get thrown under the bus necessarily because of what I was doing it wasn't um it was a a real big eye-opener for me though because it made me see like how how much of 
my own actions can affect someone else's. Like how I affected my family, per se, by that coming out. Yeah. And so I know, so is that when you kind of change, like decided to start recovery? Or it, like, I don't know what all you want to talk about if you want no, to move on is, from that. You're doing amazing, girl. Don't even, <laughs> like, you can ask me. I am an open book. So I, I was. I was going to say, um, like, with because your family was so known, too, um, like, did that help any with your cases, too, to get um, the charges dropped a little lower? I know that sounds really bad. I'm just curious. Um, no, didn't. I hope toward towards so, you. So um, it actually more was like I was crucified to the cross. This is like, you were made you know, an example yeah, of Yeah, I was made, yeah, I was made a very, a very good and harsh example because like, like she was talking about, you know, my dad was the mayor. I came from doctors and lawyers and dentists and, and all these like people who are, um, educated and are not getting into stuff like this. And then here I am out here raising hell, you know, living <laughs> life of like thinking, that nothing can happen to me, and and, and that wasn't reality. Right. So with that, um, I think it. I think a lot of people have done a lot of bad things in their lives, and um, where my family was so well known that they did make an example. And I, I but honest to God, it saved my life. I was like, going to say, I think it was a yeah. good thing in the end, yeah. anyways, to make that example yeah. and make it like crucified that. to the cross. Yeah, you needed that. I need I needed that because like when as mad as I was, because I couldn't take responsibility for myself. You know, as as a addict, we're all about like manipulating, justifying. You did this to me. This is the reason I was getting high. This is the reason I got caught all these charges. But at the same time, like I needed that. What I call my higher power in a black coat. <laughs> which was my judge to say, like, you're going to prison for two to 20 years if you don't get your life together. So as much as, like, I hated it back then, and I do tell it, like, I feel like um, I was put up on a cross. Basically, it was the by far the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I don't think I'd be here. And I feel like you've done a lot of good. Like, you've taken, you know, like, your lowest point, and you've made it be able to help other people throughout <laughs> these years and that's like that's what I want to do because um when I was in treatment and and I had went through outpatient treatment twice and it didn't work for me and then I got put in jail because I was continuing to fail drug screens so um when I actually was put in inpatient and I seen all these people who were recovering addicts and I was listening to their stories about how, like, we just related so much. Like, I let my wall down finally, and I was like, these people get it. Like, if they tell me, you know, like, if I tell them, like, I want to burn somebody's house down, they're going to be like, I get that. You can't do that, but I get it. Like, I get where you're at in this Well, you need like, someone that's, yeah. like, you need those people that are sort of, like, in that similar situation. To, so you're like, oh, I'm not alone even. So it's right. kind of nice to be able to talk to those and learn from the, their experiences, too. Because that's what we do, you know, like in, in the book of um, Narcotics Anonymous, they say um, one addict helping another is without parallel, which means there's nothing compares to it. And I'm a firm believer in that because, like, the people who showed me that 
I didn't even think I could get a day clean. Like, I could not fathom being clean. I could, like, I thought, I'm going to get out of jail, and I'm going to get high, and, and I'll be okay, because, like, I can do this. If I stay off of drugs for a couple years, I should be able to manage my drug habit, and, and, and I know, like, you can't do that. I, you don't manage it. It manages you. When it called my name, I went at all costs. It did not matter. But um, it was nice to see, like, that people came out of it because I had not seen that. All I had seen was, like, all these people just wallowing in their own self-pity and, and their choices had created these devastating results. And I was right there and I was destroying my life. And, I, and, and at the time, like, I didn't even know how much uh, getting a felony on your record could affect you. Like, I was just like, oh, it'll be okay. It's just a felony, you know. Didn't have any clue that, like, that can destroy your life in the sense of, like, getting any form of good job. I was going to say, it basically determines your life because yeah. of job, college, everything. Like, they see that, you're screwed, unfortunately. And, you know, as of right now, I work at Brighter Futures, and um, but before I was here, I was getting my licensed graduate social worker degree. Congrats, by the way. I saw that. That's amazing. Thank you. But to be able to test, because I still had the felonies on my record at the time, that I had to wait for them to go in front of the board for them to approve me. And I had done, like, I had done all this stuff, but that, that just showed me, like, how much of an impact a felony can have on your life is just because, like, even though you've done all this good stuff and though, like, I hadn't used in 10 years, it was still, like, right there. Like, we have to wait. Yeah, I have a misdemeanor on mine, and I'm still having repercussions to this day. So, like, even though mine's not a felony, I still have that problem, and it's. (laughs) It's crazy how it can affect your life. It's, yeah. And you don't even think about it. Like, like I tell a lot of my clients, like, nobody wakes up one day and is like, I want to be a drug addict. Like, that is a good thing. I think that job or that, like, that looks great for me. I just want to do this for the rest of my life. No, like, we started for different reasons. But, like, I started it because it I thought it was fun at the time. But if anybody knew where it led I think a lot of us would try to make different choices in our lives because nobody wants, like, if you say that at the end of the tunnel, like, you've destroyed everything in your life, you've lost every person who ever loved you, you have nothing left, then is, does it look that good, like, when you start it? No, it doesn't. You're kind of alone in the end, it sounds like, yeah. then. You're alone and, yeah. Because, well, you're by yourself because at the end, you know, your drug addiction has grown like the tolerance has grown so big that I can't share my drugs with anybody so what I get I have to do alone to be able to feel normal it's not even about getting high at that point it's about just being able to function to get out of bed to brush my teeth to wash my hair to take a shower to like how normal people everyday people function and they get up but you have to have that drug in you you have to have in order to function is what you're saying yes and you have to like in recovery like that's one of the first things I had to learn it's crazy to even say it but it's the truth like they had to make me make my bed so like I would wake up every morning and they would be like by 6 30 you have to have your bed made 
and I thought, this is so stupid. Why do I have to make my bed? But in the end, like, it's learning how to live again. It's almost like you're a baby learning how to crawl and then walk again. And that's what they're trying to teach you is, like, life skills that we've just pushed to the wayside because nothing else mattered. Right. How old were you when you finally, well, you said it was almost like 13 years ago, so you were, like, 20? For 12 years. Um, so I stopped at 20. Oh, wow. So pretty much right when it becomes legal to, like, drink and stuff is when you were finally, yeah. like, getting your life. So yeah. were you living at your parents' house, or did you move out during that time? No, I was living with my parents at that time. So, yeah, like, how uh, most people experience um, going out and drinking and having a good time with their friends, I never got to experience that because it wasn't – I cannot manage any, like, substance, any mood or mind-altering substance in any form or fashion. And I learned that the hard way when I would – try to drink and then I would be like 10 shots deep and the cocaine at the end of the bar looked really good so I don't like even today I don't do any form of mood or mind altering substance because I can't and I know that I can't I know what it'll lead me to right. at least and I, you know, too. at least you know and are aware of it for yourself now too. I feel like because I have you know um, addicts and alcoholics in my life or like in my like family and I know that they've mentioned it's like they don't go a day without wanting it and they know you know like they just can't do that because like once you start it's just a slippery slope and I do think it's it's something you're kind of born with I think it's a hereditary you know gene in your body that's makes you your brain it's your brain yeah Yeah, have you have you because I know like with my family a lot of times they replace an addiction is there something is that kind of what you did with like schooling and things like you just yeah like so um yeah I like it's and it's very easy to replace it because you learn like your time and focus goes into getting high and then it's just taken away and it's funny because like when they put me in rehab and took all my drugs away from me I started smoking and then like (laughs) I put down smoking, um, I think it was like 2013, I put down smoking because I just didn't like it anymore, but it it went from like drugs to cigarettes, then it was like, I need to look a certain way, like I need to be this small, um, so uh, it was all, and these are all like damaging things, like, because we can, you can take anything and make it an obsession, Mm -hmm. like exercise or eating a certain way like you can take all that and just absolutely destroy everything about your life Um, you become like pinpointed like focused on one thing overly that in our my family we do have like addiction but yeah we do have that type where it's like you have to you have to do it this way like and get obsessed with it for a while it's really hard because uh, my dad is like that with many things too. He'll be obsessed with it and he'll have to say, continue buying ice cream and over and over and over again and doing things because we do have addictions running in our family. And I guess it's just how your brain, I don't even know. It's, it's almost like in, at some point your brain switches from a, like from just using to dependence to where you can't go a day without it. Um, and I don't know at what point your brain switches to that. All I know is, like, you're, 
you know, your body makes natural dopamine, natural endorphins, natural things that feel good. So after a time of putting things in your body that like take the natural ones away and sort of making it like false, I think that's when your brain starts to shift because it's not, your body's not making it. You need it. So I got to put something in it. Oh, so your your body's not naturally making it anymore. So no, it completely because you're putting it in it already, so it don't need to. And it's like then when you don't have it, it's like whoa, what worries? Uh, I, I need that. Yeah, yeah. What? Not to change the subject, but what do you do now for work? Like you're you said you're a therapist, so do you help people recover, or is it something? Um. So. I actually work at Brighter Futures um, Substance and Mental Health in Madison, and we are a medication addiction treatment center. We work with um, all walks of life, basically. We can treat anything from, like, addiction in the form of drugs to alcoholism to anything like that. But here, it's nice to see that so many people's like involved and engaged in the same thing, which is just to help the next person. It's not about necessarily like, oh, well, you've failed this many drug screens and you need to be kicked out or need this. Like we truly try to meet the person where they are. What do you need? What can we do for you? And go from there. Do like step by steps with them to see how to. And how did you um, get to go down to Capitol Hill and all that and meet so many different representatives? Uh, was that with this company, too, or just on your? No, actually, um, I, I was the third person to graduate um, Boone and Lincoln County Drug Courts when drug court was first, like, pushed out. So when I met Hillary Clinton in 2016, my judge was on the stage with me, and um, I'll never forget what he said, but he had, he's, um, they said something about me and my co-defendant, and they said, he said, if I would have um, been asked 10 years ago whether Chelsea would be here sitting or her co-defendant would be here, I would have called you a liar if you thought that Chelsea would be here sitting, because I never thought she would be the one who was here. And um, after I did that, I got um, recognized by the NADCP, which is like the national level of drug court. And um, I went there and we have like we had an alumni group, which was um, other people who graduated from various states. We came there and pushed out different things that need to be pushed out in various states for drug courts, what we thought. And then they asked me to go speak at that point to our senators and various people on Capitol Hill. So, and I've been there a few times because I've done a couple interviews with like um, Shelly Moore Capito and different things. So, and she's wonderful. Like she's wonderful to go talk to. So I never care. But um, yeah, I think I mean, it's an honor talk about it because we don't as a nation and yeah we talk about the I guess war on drugs and all of that and drug addictions but I feel like we need to do even more so it's good to have people like you sharing those experiences and trying to people don't really like I was um, listening the other day and I listen to like I look up stats a lot because I want to I like 
you to tell me like what our like statistics are looking like at this point. And when groups about um, overdoses because they're so prevalent right now, like there's so many people who's overdosing and dying. And um, in 2018, we had over um, we had almost like. 70,000 overdose deaths or something and the like I tell my clients um the way the best way for me to put it is like WVU Stadium holds I think like 63,000 people so the WVU Stadium couldn't even hold the amount of people who overdose and is that in the United States or West Virginia yeah that's the United States okay I was like that's a lot if it's yeah no that's and that's not everybody reported like that's right that's Still like, an enormous number. Yeah. So, and then I, I read something the other day, and, and it stuck out to me. And it said, like, 23 million Americans suffer from some form of substance use um, disorder. But, like, more people will die from an overdose than a mass shooting, a motor vehicle accident, or a terrorist attack combined. That's so sad. And, and I think it, a lot has to do, I mean, with just the doctors the and then like nobody's helping there's no I mean I know we had like there and stuff but there's no true like I feel like no. help and then we have such a stigma on it when you do get started yeah. you well, have, like, yeah. drug and then you have the mental health stigma too and those are the two that always get seen yeah. to be front to the side and that's what people don't realize like you're actually by creating a stigma towards something you're stopping people from saying like I need help and if that was your kid do you truly care what kind of treatment they get as long as they can try to do something different as long as they're not out here kicking doors in or shooting up heroin or overdosing at what point do we actually say like any form of treatment's good as long as my kid's living as long as my kid's living and trying to do something different, and if this treatment don't work, we'll do something else. But at this point in life, we need to try whatever's working instead of saying, like, well, I don't want my kid on Suboxone or I don't want my kid on methadone or this person needs to just do NA, NA meetings. And, like, treatment is not a one-size-fits-all box. Like, we have to look at everybody's recovery as different because what worked for me may not work for you. Which and is how treatment with other, like, yeah. Society in general, like education, you learn differently. Now, you get treated differently. Like, why can't we do treatments with addiction in different ways uh, instead of putting it in one box, like you said? And that's how it should be looked at um, because it's, you know, everybody wants to combat whether, um, is it a disease or is it a choice? Well, like, I don't care. I don't care if it's a disease, a choice, or whatever, but at the end of the day, like, we have a crisis on our hand that is not getting any better, that is continuing to kill people. Now we have a pandemic that's not helping anything with the mental health or the addiction aspect because we're isolating people, and then we just think, like, this is going to get better. No, it's not. It's not at all. And we, like, in southern West Virginia, we have so many barriers that, stop people um or make it more difficult to get treatment that a lot of people just say well it's easier to get drugs it's easier to buy them off the street than to really try to do treatment because i can't get to an appointment once a week an hour to two hours away and as you said can't afford it either too right 
Yeah. It's just... Well, and that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah, and they're not, and I feel like being from, you know, Bent County, a lot of times people don't see that they can do better. You know, they're like, this is, I remember being in high school and like people being like, well, this is just our life. Like, this is just how it's going to be. This is, this is what my mom's life. This is what my grandparents' life. This is my life. What I, the card I've been dealt and they don't see the bigger picture and how it could be better. Did I win? No, you just told people how they can get 15% off our merch. They'll just need to go to our new website and hit merch and order our wonderful t-shirts with our faces on them. Order now. More information in our episode notes. Now back to our episode. Chelsea, what would you like to tell people? Um, I think it's the end of the day as a person who's in long-term recovery I just would like to tell people like there is a better life that you can achieve if you choose to do something different and recovery isn't easy it's not something that I wake up every morning and just love life it's living life on life's terms Um, if I said I never craved or wanted to get high I would be a liar but I know that with everything it took from me and all the levels of um, what I call hell that I went through to get my drugs, that it's just not worth it. And if you could really like, like I, I see people every day and, and I talk to them and, and I say like, just get like, give it a couple months. If, if people would look at their life and, and actually get, give it three months that you do something different, that you go to inpatient or you go to outpatient and you truly put your all into doing something different. If you don't like it, if you don't like recovery or anything that is, it's giving you, like you could always go back to the same crap that you crawled out of because it's going to be there. Like your drug dealer is going to be there or you'll have another drug dealer. Like the dope is always going to be there, but your life isn't. There's going to come a time where you will either like die, end up in an institution, or you'll end up in jail. That's the only three places it leads. To use drugs gives no form of happiness, and you can't do anything as long as you choose to live that life over trying to do something different. So I just think, like, I'm so thankful where I am today, and I'm thankful that for the people who, like, stuck by me um, because – to love a drug addict's not easy. You know, we're hard people to love and, and we're hard people to, uh, to want to stick by because we do some horrible things. But at the end of the day, like, I'll never forget who stuck by me. But I'm very thankful for you all having me on here today. <laughs> and Thank you. Do you, I do have one last question. I was yeah. thinking, do you think that people, at least in Madison, since you work in Madison, still think of you as, you know, the Chelsea Dolan from 13 years ago? Or do you think you've been able to change that? Um, I think <laughs> that there's both perspectives. So um, I think that a lot of people see that I've changed my life. And a lot of people that um, that reach out to me, actually some people like really surprise me because they've moved away and I have no idea that they have any form of substance abuse problem. But um, 
you know, then you have some people that you're standing in a gas station and you hear, I know that ain't Chelsea Dolan. And like <laughs> the hair on your neck stands up and you're like, that's my old drug dealer. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. I mean, I guess like they could think of you anyway, but at least you know what you've done for yourself and others is, and yeah. stepping stones you've t- taken for you and your family and your son, right? You have a son. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So you got that. And I feel like, you know, it's, they could judge all they want, but look how far you've come, right? Yeah, and I appreciate you all um, letting like letting me talk and stuff and asking questions because this has been like it's been good and and believe it or not doing things like this helps me as much as getting the message out. It helps me to realize where I was to where I've been. No, I just appreciate, and I've followed you on Facebook. I don't know how long we've been Facebook friends, but I've seen you know you go through your ups and downs, and like I really. You know, I think you are a true, like, inspiration, like, whenever I I know when I, I was, like your photo, I, I actually like it. it. <laughs> I was fine on her yesterday, too, or the day before. Either way, all my days are mixed up. I was like, wow, like, that's an inspiration right there because you have your ups and downs, and that's real life. That's real life. Okay. And especially right now, it's hard to stay positive and hard. Yeah, and especially for, like, People who are still in active addiction, like they've they've taken everything away from us of like in person meetings and different things like that, and we need that. Like we, I need to be held accountable to be at a meeting and different things. I don't need to necessarily do Zoom because it's real easy to do Zoom and still be doing the grimy stuff. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's different. But thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for coming uh, on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, honey. Yeah. If you ever need anything else, you holler. Hannah, what did you think about this episode? I really liked it. I never knew Chelsea, really. I just knew of her um, being from the same town. And I remember when everything happened, as she said, it was on, you know, the front page of the Coal Valley News. That's our newspaper, if anybody is wondering. Yes, it's called the Coal Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we're in the Coal Valley. But it was really nice to actually hear her story because I've seen from afar being her Facebook friend over these past years and seeing how far she's come. And I feel like she is a true inspiration. And, you know, I I think it's really wonderful that she's dedicated her life to helping other people that were in her shoes or, or like are currently going through issues and um yeah and i just hope that if someone's listening that they do you know um get the help and we have added links into the episode notes if you are or if you know someone that may need help or that is suffering from drug addiction so what did you think of this episode i thought it was very very inspiring and strong of her to, you know, come on this episode and also take the bull by the horns and, you know, go and help people and get more information and, you know, even help herself and learn from it instead of, you know, uh, um, not, not learning, obviously. I couldn't think of the word right now, but it's just like she's not like just staying in her you know like being like well this happened to me woes with me exactly she's she's really like 
made lemonade with her lemons. Exactly. Thank you. That's the that is what I I was thinking of was that she took it and instead of wallowing and all that, she learned from it, moved on, and now look at her. She has a beautiful son and is helping people and and like we uh, like Hannah said, if you all anyone needs help, we have the links below and. Just know you're not alone. There's so many people out there, unfortunately, that have addictions. But I know it's silly to say, but you aren't alone. There's support groups and there's others. And hope it gets better. It does and get I better. Think, and I think that's what a lot of people don't see. They mm-hmm. don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I, before we do log off, I watched this documentary called The Pharmacist on Netflix. And I do suggest that for everyone to watch because it really explains like addiction and doctors that were involved that got in um, like the whole reason why we have an opiate issue and then heroin and things. And it really kind of opens your eyes. And that was so. I'll have to watch that too. Yeah. So it's called The Pharmacist. And I think it's only on Netflix, but it's really interesting. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it definitely helps you understand a little bit more about how people can get addicted to things. I, I And I think I actually was on my watch list. And I do believe uh, besides uh, that documentary, just know that, um, you know, you have that also the environment and like you said, the uh, opioid addictions too. So it's nice to get in depth about that. Yeah. But I just hope that people realize that it's not you. It's if you are an addict, it's not you. There are ways to help, and I just hope that people get the help Agreed. that they need. So. Agreed. Addiction doesn't define you. Yes. And next week, we have another great episode. So you're friends with the Flower Bomb Band. I feel like that is like a tongue twister, Flower yes. Bomb Band. And we interviewed them also in 2020. So um, we hope that you tune in next week to find out more about them and listen to their music. Yep. And it's going to be a, it's a really fun, interesting episode. What I'd like to tell people is an independent podcast recorded and edited by us, Rachel and Hannah. Our theme song is written and recorded by Sean Price. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you can receive the latest episode. Also, rate and review our episodes so we can receive more listeners. Go to our website www.whatidliketotellpeople.com. Find the link and more information in the episode notes. Until next week. And this was What I'd Like to Tell People.